I grew up with um, one of three, the youngest of three brothers. So um, if you're the firstborn child, you're probably that kid they prayed for and wanted and all of that. If you're the secondborn, uh, you're the, the firstborn's plaything, right? You're the, <laughs> you're the, little, the little buddy that, that the first one needed uh, for mom and dad to get a little relief. If you're the third, like, there's probably not many pictures of you. <laughs> there's, uh, it's just, you're just there. Um, and if you're fourth, fifth, sixth, um, who knows, right? You're on down the line. Well, I grew up with, um, like I said, two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three, so I'm that kid that there's not many pictures of. And uh, that kind of got pushed around by his older brothers all the time. I, I, was, um, I was a small kid growing up. So I was really, really small um, and was crammed into a lot of tight places. Um, there's nothing like brothers or siblings to teach you how to forgive, to teach you the need for forgiveness. Um, one of the worst things I remember as a child, and me and my brothers were just talking about this a few weeks ago. Uh, my middle brother turned 40 and we were together and we were just laughing about old stories and stuff. And one of the old stories that we were laughing about is the time that they folded me up in a fold-out couch and put the cushions on it and sat on me. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm just going to tell you, that's probably one of the scariest things in my life. It's super tight inside of a fold-out couch. I'm just telling you, I, I, I remember uh, being folded up in that thing and, and screaming, I can't breathe. And my brother said, if you couldn't breathe, you wouldn't be talking. <laughs> This is growing up with brothers, right? So um, it's situations like that that um, teach you how to forgive, right? You, you, you go through conflict like that and you learn how to forgive. Well, with, with my own kids, um, Lauren and I are seeing the, and, and feeling like we're constantly refereeing our children, like constantly trying to um, help them through conflict. And so um, we've, we've developed this, uh, this threefold plan which is really practical and probably it's not, it's not our thing. It's, just, it's probably just the way you, way you parent people. But it's actually a pretty good pattern, I think, for not just children but for adults. So here's our threefold plan. When we have the time to lay this out with our kids in the middle of a conflict, here's what we try to do. One, we try to get them to apologize thoroughly. So if you've done something wrong, you apologize thoroughly. So I'm sorry is not good enough. We want them to say, I'm sorry that... Uh, I'm sorry I uh, pulled your hair, or I'm sorry I took your toy. I shouldn't have done that. Something thorough that explains what it is that they did wrong. There's a couple of reasons for that, but basically we want, we want them to know what they did wrong, and, and secondly, we want, you know, we want the other child to know that they know what they did wrong, and the hope there is that they won't repeat it, right? Um, second thing is to ask for forgiveness. And I know that sounds simple, but it's actually pretty hard to say will you forgive me, requires a certain level of humility that's, that seems to be pretty challenging. Um, you know, to get to the place where you actually um, put yourself in a posture of need is tough for, for kids and really tough for adults too. But to say, will you forgive me, is what we push our kids to do. And the third thing is to, um, to give an answer. So the one who's been offended gives an answer and hopefully it's yes I forgive you and then we encourage them to demonstrate this reconciliation with a hug or some sort of affectionate something right uh, give your sister a hug you know and it's, <laughs> it's that kind of a thing uh, but that threefold plan is really not that far off from the way we as adults should operate too right so apologize thoroughly ask for forgiveness and then let that person answer let them offer let them give 
So hopefully this, uh, this plan will establish some patterns that will last beyond their childhood into adulthood. But reconciliation and forgiveness and apologies and all that doesn't seem to get easier as we get older, I don't think. Uh, in some ways, it even gets harder. I remember um, when one of my first jobs, you know, I'm, I'm entering adulthood and I get, uh, I, I get a, a position and I'm working this job, and it was a part-time job while I was in college, and, and I'm, I'm working, and the Lord's just blessing my work, and the, the position, the responsibilities of the job are growing, and um, the, it's just going well, you know? I thought, this is going well. I'm doing well. This is, this is good. And I worked that job for a couple of years, and it gets to the point where it's really more than a part-timer can handle. And my boss comes to me, and he's like, hey... Um, we really feel like we need to move your position to full-time. And I was like, okay, this is great. First job is going part-time to full-time. This is awesome. Um, and then within a few weeks, he hired his friend's buddy to take my full-time job and kept me on just to train him. And, uh, and, and I got dismissed. And I remember that feeling as an adult of being hurt, wounded deeply, like I felt like I had worked for this thing and it's just taken right out from under me. And it honestly wounded me really deeply. Um, It was honestly much later that I was actually able to forgive that guy. So I I don't know for you what what pains you've endured. You know, who's, who's stabbed you in the back or who's shared your secret information or who's gossiped about you or who's you know, um, slandered your business online or who's done, there's any number of things that people can do to you. Maybe you're in business and somebody's cheated you, or maybe you're a supervisor over people and and they, they talk about you in the, in the, in the break room, or maybe this, there's wounds that happen to us as people for which forgiveness is needed. And the reality is, is it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, you know, one of, one of the areas where you get to practice this whole re- reconciliation thing is in marriage. You know, my wife and I just celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and it's been the best seven years of my life. <laughs> uh, it's actually she's not been in here, amazing. So I can say we've that, we've uh, had an amazing uh, time together. I'm so thankful for my wife. But I, I, I can't lie to you and say it hasn't been easy. Like, there have been some pretty significant bumps in the road. We've had... Some pretty difficult times. And um, one of those particular circumstances, we were having an argument. It was one of those um, fights where you're not really communicating. You're just exchanging information. Anybody been there? <laughs> like there's not real communication. It's just I'm going to talk to you on an as-needed basis. And that's kind of where we were. We were kind of giving each other a little bit of a silent treatment. We had our, our children, and, and we were um, just sort of navigating the, the bedtime process as a together unit, but not really together. I know you probably know what I'm talking about. And uh, we got them to bed, and I just thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm the guy who presses into the mess and tries to resolve it. And so she went into the bedroom, and I was like, we're dealing with this thing, like, now. And so I walk in the bedroom, I'm like, hey, we got to talk this thing out. And uh, I can't, this is not good, so let's talk. And so she just stood there, listening, looking. She's quiet. She's sort of reserved. And I said a few things, and there was no response. And I was just like, hey, I'm not leaving this room until we work this thing out. She was like, that's perfect. 
and she walked out. She walked out and closed the door, and I was like, and that is checkmate, because I'm, uh, I'm stuck in here. So uh, I, I tell you that to say ma- marriage is hard, like, and if you're married, you know that, right? I mean, there are times when it's tough, but here's the thing is like, that is one of the settings where you have this covenant relationship that says, hey, we must work through this. We've, we're going to, we're committed to working toward reconciliation. So um, I was reading a book this week by Philip Yancey. It's called uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. And he made this statement. I want to share it with you. Just see how, how it rests on you. Here's what he said. The only thing harder than forgiveness is the alternative. The only thing harder than forgiveness is alternative. Pressing into our hurts and pushing for forgiveness is challenging. It is so, so, so hard. The alternative is really hard and really hurts and really painful. But it's it's necessary. I don't know your particular pain, but I do know all of us have been hurt. And the wounds that we have have the potential to do like long-term damage if we don't really wrestle through them. So what I want us to do is um, look to Jesus. He's our anchor. He's our hope. He's our example. He's the one who has done this perfectly. So I want us to look to him. My goal today is twofold. First, I want us to look and worship Jesus for what he's done. And then I want us to pull some truths from that that we can take and, and apply to life, okay? So let's turn our attention to Christ and to His Word. Um, I know you probably just sat and got comfortable, but would you stand with me and look at Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23. As you're finding your place there, um, the scene we, we, we turn to is when Jesus has been taken to the cross. And we're thinking about Jesus, right? The Son of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God has been taken to the cross. He's never sinned. He's never done a thing wrong. He's never lied to anyone. He's never uh, mistreated anyone, never spoken harshly, um, never cheated, never... All those things, right? And yet, he's he's being nailed to a cross with criminals. Let's, Let's not let that... You know, pass us by. Let's really just resonate with that for a moment. Luke 23, verse 32 and following. says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was even an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Just hold, hold your place there and just think for a moment about all that's happening around this moment. That we've got 
Jesus being nailed to a cross with criminals. We've got soldiers mocking him, religious leaders hurling insults at him, spitting on him, people, people challenging his identity. If you really are the Christ, then come down off of there. Save yourself. Oh, I guess you're not. Well, here's a sign for you. King of the Jews. All of that, this mocking, this thing is going on. And in the middle of it, right smack in the middle of it, what does Jesus say with his words? Father, forgive them. He had preached about this very thing um, early in his ministry. So let's flip back to Luke 6. While you're standing, let's just read a few verses in Luke chapter 6. Jesus gives us an exhortation. He's, in his sermon, he's preaching on how to forgive, how to, how to love your enemies, how to love those who mistreat you. And he's going to live it for us at the cross. But let's look at what he said in Luke chapter 6. Um, this is uh, possibly one of the most difficult sermons to obey. And this part in particular is very challenging. But he says, Luke 6, um, verse 27. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies. Be good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. He's going to obey. He's going to obey his own sermon at the cross. With those who are hurling insults at him, he prays on their behalf. God, don't judge them for this. Hold, give them mercy. Forgive them. He's going to pray for those who abuse him. Verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Lord, as we talk about how we can love like Jesus, help us first to see clearly how He loves, to hear His voice in calling us to love like Him, than to embrace the grace that it takes to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, um, first thing we see from Jesus in how to love well in this regard is that Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus forgives sinners. Sinners, not former sinners, not used to be sinners, not the guy who sinned against him a long time ago, but has now made things right. Not the guy who hurt his feelings, but was really apologizing and and owned his sin and came to him and was like, man, I'm so sorry. 
um, Jesus forgives still sinning sinners. Let's, let's not miss that. When we look at the cross and we look at Jesus from the cross praying for those who are in the moment abusing Him. Jesus forgives sinners. And what comes to my mind is John chapter, or Romans chapter 5, verse 8 that says that God demonstrates His love in that while we were still sinning. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus forgives sinners. What I want to do is walk that statement backwards. I want to start with a sinner. What is a sinner? Just um, and, and be very elementary, so be, be patient for a moment. I just want to define these terms and sort of describe them a little bit. A sinner is a person who has broken God's law. A person who's broken God's law. Um, God has a path for us, and when we deviate from the path, the Bible calls us sinners. That we are sheep who've gone astray. So a sinner is a person who's broken God's law. The Bible says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all, every one of us, are sinners. We have all broken God's law, and our relationship with God is broken. The word forgives. Jesus forgives sinners. The word forgives. Um, it may seem elementary to define it, but it's necessary. When we talk about forgiveness, the, there's several words in the Bible. The one most used is the word afiemi, and it means to separate Here's what it means by that, is to separate a person from their wrong. I don't know about you, but when someone lies to me repeatedly, in my mind I find a category for them, and they are now called a what? Liar. I've created a label for this person because of their wrong. And what forgiveness does is it separates them from their label. They may have told lies, but they are not a liar. They are a person. They have a name, not a label. And forgiveness separates a person from their wrong. And the beauty of the gospel, when God talks about forgiving us, He talks about separating us, in Psalm 103, separating us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, why east and west, you might say? Well, north and south have a north pole and a south pole. That's a measurable distance. But east and west, you can go forever east and not hit west. You can go forever west and not hit east. So God is there saying, I'm separating you from your sin an infinite amount. You will not be put back with your sin when God forgives you. So to forgive means to release from repayment of debt. It means to separate. If you forgive a debt of a person, you don't, you don't say, hey, I, I know you owe me a thousand bucks, but you know, if you'll just make you know, a few little payments, we'll call, it, we'll call it even. That's not forgiveness. That's a debt repayment plan. God doesn't debt repayment plan us. He forgives us. He separates us from our sin. Thirdly, working it backwards, Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus forgives 
sinners. Only Jesus can truly forgive. Only Jesus can do that because here's the thing. We are, we are people who have sinned against God. So God has to do the forgiving work. He's the one who's been offended and he's the one who has to actually say, I forgive you. He has to extend that forgiveness. And so that's what God did when he sent Jesus. Jesus is God's extension of mercy and grace and forgiveness to us. There is no other way to receive the grace and mercy of God unless you receive Jesus. That's what he meant when he said, uh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's what he meant, is I am the way that God has chosen to forgive. And I'm coming to do all that's necessary to make that happen. Now, most of us are willing to forgive someone who feels sorry for their sin, right? When I think about myself, um, I guess I've gotten to the point in my walk with the Lord where I feel like I'm pretty quick to forgive. But normally, the contingency is I need to kind of, I need to kind of think that person, you know, has some sense of remorse or they're sorry or they at least know what they've done. And once I feel like that's in place, then I'm like, okay, all right, I forgive you. And I'm pretty quick. But that's not what we see in Jesus, is it? And I, as I look to Jesus, I feel I have so far to grow in the way that I forgive. We, we have a Savior who on the cross, as He's being beaten and nails being driven in his hands, insults hurled his way. As those words are coming out of their mouth, he says, Father, forgive. Forgive them. This is the best news in the world. So I want to tell you um, what's so good about it. Here's what's so good about it. When we were not seeking him, he came to us. When we had broken God's law, he came and kept it. When our relationship with God was severed, Jesus came to be the mediator. And Jesus has done everything needed to be done to reconcile us to God while we were still sinning. Totally undeserving. This is what makes it grace is that we are desperately in need of Him and His rescuing work. So Jesus came in the flesh. He came to be one of us. God the Son came and endured every temptation that we face, yet Him, He without sin. He never did the things that I've done or you've done. He was perfect. Then the very people that Jesus came to rescue killed Him. We put Him to death. And ironically, this is actually what fulfilled the plan of God. It was His death that bought our freedom. Jesus died as a substitution for you and for me. That's the reason He had to go to the cross and die. Um, he said in John 10, No man takes my life. I lay it down and I'll take it up again. So He wasn't the victim of a crime so much as He was the victor doing His work. And he came to die on the cross in your place and my place so that God could extend his mercy and grace and say, I forgive you. Because God needed to execute justice in order to be a righteous judge and to grant you mercy. And that's the beauty of the gospel. 
So I just want us to celebrate Jesus. Can we just do that for a moment now? Jesus, we thank you for what you did. You did what we could not do. We could not bridge the gap between us and God. There was nothing we could do. We still cannot do anything to earn our way into right standing with God the Father. But you have done it all. And we look to you and say, Oh God, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus forgives sinners. Secondly, everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs forgiveness. Um, This is a simple point, but Romans chapter 3, we've already said this verse, but it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of forgiveness. Let me share this with you. The first thing you have to realize in order to be saved is you have to realize that you are the one who has hurt and offended God. The first thing you have to realize is that it is your sin that has broken this relationship. Um, You're in, hopefully, in Luke 6. I want you to look at Luke 7 for a moment. Um, I want us just to think about a story. I think it will help illustrate that one of the biggest things we need is to see our own need for forgiveness. One of the biggest things you need is to see your own need for forgiveness. There's a story in Luke 7. um, If you want to find your place around verse 39 or so, that's where we'll be. But let me catch you up. Where Simon, the Pharisee, who thinks a lot of himself, he's invited Jesus over for dinner and they're having a nice dinner, maybe talking all kinds of theology and law and all these things that are very important. And in barges this woman who, um, by Simon's thoughts, is a sinner. She's a woman maybe um, known as a particular sinner in the, in the city. And she comes into dinner and just quietly comes behind Jesus where he's lying down at the table. And she gets behind him and she's got her ointment and she begins to just weep on his feet. Enough tears to wet his feet enough to wash them with her ointment and her hair. And she's just weeping in love and worship of Jesus. And Simon, the host of dinner, looks at this woman, looks at Jesus and has a thought And in verse 39, here's what he thinks. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, here's the great irony that I see in in this moment of the text is Simon is actually thinking Jesus doesn't know. This guy must not be a prophet, because if he were a prophet, he would know this is not the kind of woman you won't touch in you. you. Like, if he, knew, if he only knew who she is, because she's a sinner. And the great irony is not that Jesus doesn't know who she is, but that Simon doesn't know who he is. That's the irony of the text, is that... Um, Simon thinks he sees everybody really clearly, and the one person he doesn't see clearly is the guy in the mirror. And for many of us, that's probably the truth, is that we're able to see everybody else's mess. And when we look in the mirror, we somehow miss it that I'm a sinner. 
I'm able to look at this woman and go, well, she's a sinner. But I'm not able to look in the mirror and go, he's a sinner. And the great reality we've got to get a grip on is that everyone needs forgiveness. There's a problem of need perception. And I just want to press into that and and tell you that um, the only way we come to Jesus for salvation is needy. The only only thing you need is need. You have to know you need Him. Thirdly, this is just an admonition from Christ Himself as we see Him in a prime example. And here's what He would say to us. Forgive. He would say, I want you to love others like I've loved you. He does say that multiple times in the text. And we'll look at one um, in Colossians. I'll just read this to you. Colossians 3, in verse 13. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. There's a number of other places where, um, where Jesus gives this admonition. We read earlier. Um, Jesus has forgiven you and me more than you'll ever have to forgive someone else. He's forgiven you and me more than you will ever have to forgive anyone else. And at its root... Forgiveness is an expression of faith. There's a lot more we could talk about here, but forgiveness is where we say, you know what? I don't need to be the judge anymore over this person. I don't need to be the one making sure they get what they deserve. I don't need to be the one enacting vengeance or enacting, making sure we get even or making sure this debt gets paid. I don't need to be the judge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God do that. And I'm just going to forgive because I've been forgiven. So the big question that surfaces is how? And the reason that surfaces is if you've ever been deeply wounded, you know that this is not easy. Like to forgive someone genuinely, to forgive is incredibly hard. And so I just want to give you hopefully three quick things that will be helpful for you. First, how do you forgive? Well, Jesus models for us, you pray for those who hurt you. He said that in Luke 6, 28, and then he modeled it for us on the cross. Those who are wounding him in the midst of it, he prays for them. Father, that's a prayer. Forgive them. Here's the thing about prayer for your enemies is um, it's, it's not easy. And maybe you will pray like David does a lot in the Psalms where he prays his heart and he just says, Lord, I'm praying that you kill him. Like, just take them out back and get rid of them. You just take care of my enemies. You just handle it. And in one sense, that's turning it over to God. And in another sense, it's kind of exposing some garbage. But we read David's heart in that. And we learn, okay, we need to, we need to pray for those who hurt us. And hopefully we graduate from praying for God's like lightning to come down. And we begin to, to pray for them. Lord, would you, would you please change their heart? God would... Would you soften them? Lord, would, uh, would you, would you uh, build a, a bridge in our relationship? God, would you help 
me and you get to this point. God, would you help me to love them like you love them? You see, prayer is unique in that it's transformative. But here's what I'm telling you. Your prayers may or may not change them, but they'll certainly change you. Before you can act rightly toward someone who's offended you, you've got to have a right attitude toward them. Right attitudes are the impetus for right action. And the best way you can have the right attitude is let God transform that through prayer. That's the reason Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. He knew it was going to change you. Here's the thing. If you're holding on to grudges, your grudges are holding on to you. And when you pray, you're asking God to release all of that. Lord, release, help me to release all of this. I'm praying for this person. I don't want to hold this against them any longer. So pray for those who hurt you. Uh, second thing, posture to forgive. Posture to forgive. Um, just quickly here, I, I feel like what I see a lot of times is people, um, social media and other places, I think there are people who are just waiting to be offended. Y'all with me on this? It's like they're sitting back waiting on somebody to say something that's going to catch, that's just going to trigger that thing and make them angry. They're waiting, they're postured to take offense and to be angry and to explode. And as believers, that's not our posture. Our posture is prepped to forgive, ready to extend grace. Waiting. If there's an offense, I'm postured already before it happens to give grace. I'm posturing myself as a recipient of grace to be a giver of grace. Um, it, as you work through this, let me, let me just encourage you to practice forgiveness. I use that word practice. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking about um, something I've been looking at lately is called re- recovery time. So when, when I work out and I'm at the gym and I, and I get my heart rate really going in some cardio or aerobic exercise, I get my heart rate like up around 150 or 160, um, my watch will literally tell me how many minutes that it took for me to get my heart rate back to normal. And it calls that recovery time. So the time that lapses between accelerated heart rate and heart rate at, at normal, that time lapse one of my goals is to reduce that time. Like I want to recover quicker. Does that make sense? So in the same way, what we should be posturing and and practicing is reducing the amount of time that it takes between offense and forgiveness. So the amount of time that it takes for your heart to be softened, you you were wounded, you were hurt, there's callus built and, and, and you're, you're angry. The emotions that come from that wound are there. And the amount of time it takes for you to chill, soften, and say, you know, you hurt me, but I forgive you. When we practice forgiveness and posture ourselves for forgiveness, our goal is to reduce that amount of time to the point that we get where Jesus was on the cross, where those things are simultaneous. Offense and forgiveness are happening simultaneously. Jesus didn't wait until he came out of the grave to say to the men who nailed him to the cross, I forgive you. While it was happening, he says, I, I forgive. 
Father, forgive. So I want us to posture for forgiveness. Um, you know, forgiving someone won't, won't change your past, but it will change the future. It won't, won't change what happened. That can't be undone, but it can change how you feel about it, how you react to it. Lastly, prioritize reconciliation. Prioritize it. Um, Jesus does teaching, and, and in Matthew 5, here's what he says. He says, if you come to the altar of God to worship, bringing your sacrifice, and at the altar, you've come to bring worship to God, um, it hits you that you have um, ill feelings towards your brother. Leave your sacrifice here and go and reconcile with your brother. Now, what's the point of that text? It's priority. God knows you can't love me well if you hate your brother. He says that really clearly in 1 John 4.20. He says, if any man says he loves God but hates his brother, he's a liar. You cannot love the one you haven't seen if you hate the one you do see. So he gives us this prioritization of reconciliation. We ought to prioritize it. Um, Not even worship takes priority over these hurt, hatred in our heart. So don't wait. If you wait until you feel like it, you won't ever do it. You just have to press in and forgive. Um, a few years ago, I was serving as one of the pastors of another church, and um, we were having this little mingle event, and this, this little old lady whom I had met, and we had talked you know, we talked to one another, but we, we weren't really friends. But this little old lady came up to me, and she took me by the hands, and she just looked me in the face, and I thought, wow, this is interesting. So I'm standing there, she's holding my hands, and she said, Justin, I just want to tell you, I forgive you. I was shocked. Like, I barely knew her name. And I want to be honest with you, immediately what happened in my heart? All the self-defense mechanisms came up. I was like, what did I do? I didn't do anything to you. What do you why do you need to forgive me? I didn't do anything. But I didn't even have the chance to voice or, or act on any of that emotion. As she continued with such grace and personal brokenness, she said, you probably don't even know that you, you hurt me. But I've been struggling with this for a long time, and I'm, I'm just tired of it. I don't want to have these feelings between us and so this is for me more than it is for you but I just need you to know I I forgive you man that broke me and all I could say to this little lady that I hardly knew her name is I'm so sorry that I hurt you I, I of course had no intention to do that but thank you so much for caring enough about me To make this right. It was a beautiful display to me of how we should forgive. She didn't wait on me. She took the initiative. She came to me. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Is that Jesus didn't wait on you. He came to you. He took the initiative and He came to us. He's done everything necessary. It's not a repayment plan that He offers to you. It's a full out, totally washed in the blood forgiveness. So two things for us this morning. 
One, have you received that forgiveness from Christ? And two, are you withholding that forgiveness from anyone else? Let's pray. Our Father, What's up, my golf pro, buddy? I'm going to Top Golf this week. Really? Have you been? Never been. Really? I've been one time. It's about like three hours away from here. We've been, but and Auburn's can do it from what Jacob's Carter. And I'm taking Piper home by the